0: Again, I know a lot of you have seen the TV show This Is Us. Um, I've been watching it, and one of my favorite parts of this series—and where we kind of took off on this sermon series idea—one of my favorite parts are the characters of the three, the triplets. Three triplets—that's redundant. The triplets, uh, and the great bond and love that they have together as siblings. Even as adults, they have this little chant that they do that their mom and their dad taught them when they were little. It goes like this: Kevin says he's the oldest. First came me, and Dad said, gee. And then Kate says, and then came me, and Mom said, wee. And then finally Randall says, and then came me, and they said, that's three. And they still do this as adults. I mean, you know, grown, grown people. Uh, but this love and affection that they have for each other that started in their childhood and carries on into adulthood, they're, they're just they're there for each other. They love each other. But they also struggle, right? If you've seen the show... You've got, of course, Randall, who's always trying to win his big brother's approval. That big brother, Kevin, who looks at Randall and thinks he was always mama's favorite, and he can't see past the fact that he's the adopted one. And then there's poor Kate, who's sort of stuck in between these two. She's the peacemaker, but she's always trying to find her own place. And we get it. This is why this show is so powerful and why it's so popular to us. We understand these very things. Some of us are only children. A lot of us, though, have siblings of our own. And we know these kinds of dynamics, right? We know strong bonds with siblings, that ferocious loyalty and love. You know, you don't mess with my brother or your sister. But then in the very next moment, you can bicker and fight and argue. And there's sibling rivalry, and you're scrapping to find your place in the family or trying to win the approval of that big brother or sister. And then sometimes among siblings, there can just be cruelty. Some of us had a big brother or a sister or some sibling who, they were just so cruel to us, or maybe we were the cruel one picking on them. In fact, I bet you there's some of us here today who haven't talked to a sibling in a really long time, or maybe don't talk to them very often. We're sort of estranged. It's nothing new, right? We could start at the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. You have the story of creation, you have the story of the fall into sin, and then you have the story of how bad that fall into sin really is. You have a brother killing his brother. And God comes to Cain and says, where is your brother Abel? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, yes you are. That's the point. That's the kind of relationship brothers were supposed to, are supposed to have with each other. The rest of the book of Genesis, the second half, is also about a bunch of brothers, right? One brother in particular, well, the other brothers really didn't want to have anything to do with him. He was daddy's favorite son of daddy's favorite wife, which that's all messed up too, right? And he was the one that, you know, not not only was he the favorite, he knew he was the favorite. He was a snot-nosed little punk. They couldn't stand him. So they get this opportunity to get rid of him, to sell him into slavery, and then they have, they don't care, they're going to lie to their dad and tell him, you know, he's dead. Some of them actually did want to kill him. They didn't see him as their brother. They didn't really even see him as human. And their cruelty made his life hell. I mean, not only is he sold as a slave, as he goes to Egypt, eventually he's accused falsely, he lands in in the dungeon, in the prison. But God was with Joseph, and God raised Joseph up from all of that, and eventually Joseph rises, he's the second in charge in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, and he makes this plan for Pharaoh to save basically the entire Mediterranean world from famine. And guess who gets hungry? The brothers, right? And they come to Egypt and they're looking for food. And we're told in Genesis that they don't even recognize their brother. Now, maybe it's the Egyptian garb and style that he's sporting these days. Maybe it's because they haven't seen him in years, but I think there's a deeper truth here. They never recognized him as their brother, they never saw him as their brother. And Joseph messes around with him for a while. He's thinking about getting revenge on them, but eventually he takes the higher ground and he reveals himself to them as their brother. He saves them. He forgives them. He gives them the food that they need, takes care of their families. And actually, because of that, the line of Jesus is saved. But we go to the last, the first reading, rather, that I talked about or I read for you. And now dad has died. And they still don't get it. They're thinking, you know, the whole thing, Joseph's just been playing along. He's been waiting for this day. Now he's going to get revenge on us. And they were scared. And the irony of all ironies is they come to him and they throw themselves down before him and they say, we'll be your slaves. They sold him into slavery and now we'll be your slaves. They still didn't get it. They still didn't see him as their brother. And if you were listening to that reading, it says that Joseph wept over this. It broke his heart. Guys, you don't get it. Yeah, you meant evil, but God worked it out for good. I have forgiven you. You are my brothers. Let's go to the second reading. He probably didn't think anything of him. Slaves were a common part of the ancient world. And a slave was a piece of your property, just like your animals or anything else that you needed to use for whatever you wanted to get done. And so when he ran away, if you ever found him, ever got your hands on him... You probably would beat him, or if you wanted to, you could even kill him for running away because that's all he was. He was property to you. You could do whatever you want. But there's this other guy who you deeply admire. In fact, he's been a father figure to you. And Paul writes to you and he says to you that this guy is like a son to him also. That he holds your piece of property in his heart. And that he's changed. Paul says, just like I introduced you to Jesus, now I've introduced him to Jesus, and and he believes in Jesus, and he's changed, and I'd like you to take him back. Not as a slave, (laughs) I want you to take him back as your brother. This guy that you've looked down on, this piece of property you've looked down on, now you're supposed to look at him like a brother? But Philemon must have done this because we know from early church history that not only did Philemon become a bishop in the early church, so did his ex-slave, now his brother, Onesimus. He was the bishop of Ephesus after St. Timothy. Well, okay, that's great, you know. So the Bible story is in, in a happy ending again. What about our lives? What about the person, the sibling maybe, who has so deeply wounded you. They're so cruel, and you're really struggling to forgive. Can you forgive like Joseph? Or can you stop looking at that person as an object to be used, like Philemon was able to do with Onesimus? In our gospel reading, the last one, Jesus does something just absolutely radical that maybe kind of goes over our over our heads because we live in a culture that I mean, We value family, but on the other hand, we've become so detached and isolated from our families because we move all over the place, and, and those family bonds and connections just aren't as strong as they were in Jesus' time. I mean, in Jesus' time, you maybe never even left the village that you grew up in. Now, maybe we picked up on a little bit that it seems like Jesus is sort of dissing his mom and his brothers. I mean, when your mama comes calling, you should probably listen, even if you're a grown, grown man. But this is far more scandalous than even that. In the biblical, the Old Testament and Jewish worldview, your family tie and your bond wasn't just your loyalty to your family. It was your loyalty and your connection to God. You see, God had made his covenant all the way back again in the book of Genesis with Abraham. And it was only as you had a connection to your family and as your family then had a connection all the way back to Abraham's family through the bloodline it's only through that that then you personally had a connection to God. It was more than just your family. It was your connection to God. If you were here last week, Pastor Davis talked about how there's an Old Testament law that said if, if your son is rebellious against his mother and father, you can take him outside the city and stone him to death. And Pastor Davis asked the question, like, isn't that a little bit, you know, far-fetched? You know, ground him maybe, but, you know, stone him to death? But don't you see? I mean, it makes sense. By being rebellious, you've not only killed your relationship with your family; you've killed your relationship with God. The stones are just doing the job. What Jesus does is radical. When he is in that crowded room, these people sitting around them and he, around him, and he says, "Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother." He's saying now that there is this new family, stronger bonds than the bond back to Abraham and through the bloodlines. Now this new family is being constituted. Who is Jesus? Who's Jesus to do this? Who is this guy? Well, he's the son of God, amen? Are you kidding me? I know we're Lutherans people, but (laughs) amen. It's cold outside. Let's warm it up a little bit. He's the son of God. Amen? Amen. He's the son of Mary. Amen. Amen? That means God is one of us. God is human. And what he's saying, God is saying, you are my brothers and sisters, and I am your brother. Whoa. This is what sets the Christian faith off from all the other world religions that are out there. No other world religion says God wants to be brother with us. But this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying this new family is constituted. We are brothers and sisters with him when we do the will of God. So let's fast forward to the end of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he dies for us, he throws himself down and he prays this to his Father. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what, say it with me, you will, doing the will of God. But the thing is, the will of God, we hear from Jesus in the garden, the will of God is not the will of a tyrannical slave driver forcing us to do what we may or may not want to do. The will of God is the will of our Father, Abba. And maybe you know Abba means daddy. It's the will of our daddy who loves us. The new family is being built around obedience to our, to our daddy, to trusting our daddy with everything, even to the point of death. And Jesus, our brother, is the way. Because the cup's not removed from him, is it? He drinks the vile cup of our sin and of our death. But then he gives to you and to me a different cup, like he will again this morning. The cup of blessing. It's the cup of a new covenant. A new covenant in his blood. See, when we talk about family, that's something we usually say, right? We're blood. We're brothers and sisters. We're blood. Yeah, we're blood. We have the blood of the Son of God flowing through us when we take this Holy Communion. We have Jesus bonding us together. Bonding us together in in a way so much greater, so much stronger than even our own blood families, your individual family. We've been saying throughout this whole series, you find out you know who you are when you know whose you are. It is the blood of the Son of God shed on that cross, now given to us in this Holy Eucharist that connects us not only to him, but now to each other. When we're sitting in church, and I say to you like I did at the very beginning, my brothers and sisters, this is not just God talk, this is not just religious, no, my brothers and sisters... This is the deepest reality of who we really are. We've got to let this sink deep down into our hearts. We have got to see this for the truth that it is. So I want to go back to the gospel reading. And I'd like you to now, this time, put yourself in that crowded room with Jesus. It's, it's stuffy and tight. People are all up in your personal space. But you are one of the lucky ones because you're in the kind of the front of the gathering and you are close enough to Jesus that you could actually probably reach out and touch him. Put yourself there. And as he looks around the room and he says, Here are my brothers and my sisters, he stops and he looks at you personally. And he looks into your eyes. And as he looks into your eyes, He looks into you. And you can sense, he knows me. The face of Jesus is the face of God looking at you. How is he looking at you? In your mind, when you think of God, when you think of Jesus, how is he looking at you? Be honest. You think of him as disappointed with you, rolling his eyes. There he goes; she messed it up again. Arms crossed, glaring at you, angry and frustrated with you. Will he ever get it right? You see him ashamed of you. Just oh, jeez. When he looks at you, do you feel naked and vulnerable and weak and insecure? Are you even able to look back at him, look him in the eyes, or do you sort of have to kind of look away because you are so ashamed? How does he look at you? In your mind, how does he look at you? Let's zoom in a little closer. If you do me a favor and shut your eyes this time. You're there in that room with Jesus, and now the rest of the crowd leaves. And it's just you and Jesus. You're sitting straight across from him. And he is looking you in the eyes. And he says to you, my sister, my brother, there is both strength and tenderness in his voice. A smile comes across his face and his eyes light up as he looks at you. His eyes dance with delight. Tears begin to well up in his eyes and run down his cheeks as he is looking at you. This is how he looks at you. Can you see him looking at you like this? and now we know how we can look at each other. You can open your eyes if you like. When we are struggling to forgive that person who has hurt us so deeply, now we know how to look at them and forgive them the way Joseph was able to forgive his brothers. And if we've been using someone and treating them as an object of our own gratification, now we know how to look at them as a person, as a brother or sister. We look at each other the way that Jesus, our brother, looks at us. Let me give you just one more second to take that to prayer. That person you are struggling to look at the way Jesus looks at you, just take it to prayer and ask him to transform your eyes, to open your eyes and see them the way he sees you.